Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome back to Josh Pugh's Cult Heroes, episode two. First episode, wow, what a success. The, the feedback we've had has been unbelievable. Thank you to everybody that got in touch and listened. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're back again. The main man, Connor Kent, respect to yourself and your family. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How, how are you? Yeah, things are going well for me, mate. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm just going from strength to strength in all aspects, really. <laughs> nice. Um, just a machine yeah just kind of just unshakable just unflinching just smashing everything that comes my way yeah um, exhausted yeah it's tiring man I'm yeah. still being there for months. <laughs> how are you mate how's your week been yeah doing alright mate yeah not too bad um, sort of in my spare time I play a little bit of darts oh nice yeah and uh, I've sort of just that's finished that's spare time that isn't you know it's not professional yeah okay yeah I'm not, not pro <laughs> um, and sort of just finished up my first season in sort of the local local league Okay. And, um, finished ninth out of twelfth, so I'd 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 a bad end of the season, right? But did pick up two trophies along the way. Nice for what? Most one eighties. Is it in the league? And how many was that? one? Hello, nice. And then the highest finish out of the league. Nice, one hundred and seven. That's good. So yeah. You're like um, in football, they'd say you're not a great goal scorer, but you score great goals. Yeah, I was sort of a bit like. Do you remember um, Morton Gamps Pedersen? Yeah. Absolute luxury player. Yeah. Did um did anybody get relegated? Is is a relegation? I'm, I'm in the bottom league, so no one gets relegated from from my league. That's exciting, mate. Yeah. First season consolidate. Yeah. Next year build. That's interesting. I've actually um my little boy's um a bit of a sporting so he started went to his first football session. Oh, nice. Twenty months. Twenty months old. How's that? Is that sort of? Oh, it's chaos. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it took him. Mate, honestly, I was nervous. Yeah. I was, it was ridiculous. I'm in the car park, me and my wife, yeah. and we're both nervous. <laughs> why? I don't know why. It's <laughs> pathetic. But it was good. It was dead fun. It's like, um, but there's like a big inflatable, the, the, the perimeter of the pitch is like an inflatable thing. And you, okay. You put them inside. 
it's indoors, right? And there's just loads of balls just running around kicking it and that. Yeah. And he he really liked it, but then he it's like he discovered there was a world outside of the inflatable, right. and that was it then. As in, like he's been dropped into within the yeah. Pitch. So put him and then he the ball went to the side and he went over and he could see like another like a real pitch with right. a real goal. Yeah. And, and that he was, was it. he wanted out of the he wanted it out of the inflatable then really. Yeah. So wait, wait, are you and your wife watching from sort of the sidelines or were you watching from the car or? From the car? He's 20 months old. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm so, not a parent. So I'm, yeah, I'm in. I'm in on the pitch. Oh, right. Yeah, You're I'm on the him. pitch. Yeah, I've got shin pads on. <laughs> no, I've got, got shin pads. <laughs> Captain's armband. Um, so yeah, he had his first, he gets three free weeks. Nice. Three week trial. Yeah. He's on trial at the moment. <laughs> yeah. the, my worst case scenario is he got, joins a team age six dribbles past everybody and scores you think oh god that's it now yeah. every Saturday up and down the country yeah. um, but now nah, as long as he enjoys himself and doesn't you know doesn't disgrace the family name it'll be uh, <laughs> nah, it's, it's, it's a great thing mate it's, it's, it was really really fun and the guy doing it was dead nice yeah it's just sort of nice isn't it it's about enjoyment at that age yeah well at every age mate at the end of the day yeah it's very true tell you what I did enjoy go on this podcast yep. this episode mate nice. this guy He's a legend, Marwan. He's uh, he's our doctor at England. Yeah, so you knew Marwan before we um I, I knew, we knew chatted coming him. in, yeah. yeah. And um yeah, just dead interesting guy lived a life. Yeah. That really transpires as we uh, get deeper into the uh, into the chat, doesn't it? Connor Kent to see Dr. Marwan, please. I have to declare a um a conflict of interest. I don't think that's a vested I know the guest today. Yeah, and he's a he's a doctor. He's our doctor at England. Yeah, he's a and after patient doctor relationship, you have to declare. That's right, Doctor Marwan, isn't it? Well, technically, if you consent to me exposing your deepest darkest secrets, it's all good. <laughs> I, I do consent to that. Okay, uh, but Con- Connie's here as a chaperone. <laughs> yeah, for, for for my safety, Marwan. Thanks so much for doing it, mate. You're um... no thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure, man. You've done you've done so much in your life in your career, and but mainly we're just going to pepper you with, with really lame questions, probably about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. So you, I, I know Marwan. You, you're my doctorate, England, Marwan. So you're you're sports doctor. Is that your title, sports doctor? Yeah, sport and exercise medicine doctor. That's what I do. So you work with sports teams and individuals? Yeah. I spend most of my time working in the NHS. So I work, so I mainly specialise. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I do that most of the time. Um, so I specialise in injuries, but it's not just that. It's any kind of muscle joint problem. So I do most of my working week is serving the public, but I also do sports stuff. How, how does the how do the public compare to sports people as, as patients? That's a really good question, actually. So I think a lot of people would probably think the answer is going to be that the public are more difficult and athletes are better. But what the public generally don't have is as much pressure to get to a certain level at a certain speed. So a lot of athletes get surgery a lot quicker than the general mm-hmm. public. And that's not because they're getting better care. That's because there's a rush to get an athlete better. So... If something needs surgery, then yeah, athletes get, mm. a be- get a better service. But a lot of conditions don't need surgery. Um, but athletes get pushed into having them quickly. My, my mate, right, remember Eduardo when he broke his leg? Oh, yeah. Really nasty injury. My mate broke his leg at the same on the same day. Oh, wow. And uh, Eduardo was back playing and my mate was still like shitting in a bucket in his front room. <laughs> couldn't get up the stairs. <laughs> Eduardo was back in the Premier yeah, League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, just on that, the pressure for an athlete to get back to sort of fighting fit or to the level that they want to be at, from from a doctor's point of view, what how are you managing someone's expectations and then the actual physical ability of the human body? Yeah, so probably the, you said you and the athlete, the third person to put into that mix is the coaching staff. Yeah. So I think a lot of the pressure to get back maybe sooner than what they're ready for will come from the kind of coaching performance mm-hmm. team. So that's why having a good relationship with the coaches is really important. Mm. Um, athletes themselves want to get back quickly, you know, but a lot of a mature athlete will know to listen to the medical staff well. So, yeah, there's only so much you can do. There's lots of thing, tricks and things you can try, but ultimately it's still a human body at the end of the day and yeah. it still needs the same amount of recovery that you know, anyone would have. Do you ever manage it the other way? So say like Connor's, Connor's like in the team, right? But he, he's a bit of a liability. What team? Uh, just say Tiddlerwinks. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah t- national national Tiddlerwinks team. Yeah, yeah, fine. You're in the squad, right? Yeah. We've got a big game coming up. If he's fit and declared fit, the coach got a difficult conversation. Actually, Connor, you're not selected. Have you ever had a coach say to you, "Don't declare him fit," and it just saves me a job? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in terms of managing the squad, we <laughs> yeah. don't, we, we'll say, oh, "Actually, you're not ready for this one." It's, does that happen? It's it's tough, isn't it? Because as a doctor, there's like a code and you have to stick with like honesty and integrity. Yeah. So like stuff like that, which you do get asked for, it's, it's generally more stuff like, so for example, there's been cases where doctors have like, you know, like the whole blood capsule thing. Mm. If you've seen that, so there was a doctor oh, yeah. in rugby, it was under loads of pressure. They were said, make a, like a bleeding injury. So they had a blood capsule, put it in the mouth, he chewed down on it, blood. And that was a free interchange. That's like, obviously you can't do that as a doctor. So that, that mm. was because of pressure. So often you're given... Like a lot of pressure, the probably the most common one would be concussion, because it's not like Eduardo incident you said there. Mm, mm. You can see it, yeah, you yeah. know, it's a broken leg or if it's a muscle tear, whatever. But concussion, you can't see it. So, a lot of if you've got a coach that is very kind of wanting to win and almost is ignoring kind of player welfare, then they may well try and utilize that to their advantage. And sometimes as a doc or a physio, you find sometimes you're the only one who genuinely truly has the athlete's health like yeah first yeah, and foremost yeah. and ultimately is it your it's ultimately your decision because there was a this brings us on to dr twitter marwan doesn't it it's quite a similar thing <laughs> yes it is yeah. so you, so tell us about dr twitter this was in your work in australia yeah so i used to be the doctor of the england rugby league team um we were in the world cup in australia i think it was a quarter final the semi-final we were playing papua new guinea and every rugby match you should have a pitch side video replay system. So if something happens, you can then check the video to see you know, the mechanism or whatever. Um, so that's supposed to be there. And it's mainly for concussion, but you use it for other stuff. 20 minutes before kickoff, the match commissioner was like, uh, sorry to let you know, but the video replay is broken. So game went on. This player went down. Um, player's called Kev Brown and he's given me his consent to talk about this yeah. probably and it's all over the news anyway so um, yeah so Kev Brown took a knock went down by the time I ran on to see him he was sat up he was talking he was fine he passed all these kind of tests and stuff let him play on and then there wasn't any video so watched him for a bit he looked fine half time came Wayne Bennett who's the head coach who's the most experienced rugby coach like in the world he looks like, and he's got the persona of like Clint Eastwood. Is that kind of <laughs> yeah, guy? Wow. Like really serious, yeah. really experienced, but like, you know, he's pretty scary. Um, 
So he's giving his halftime team talk. And whilst he's doing that, one of the non-playing players was like, Doc, I think you need to see this. So he shows me his phone. And what happened is, so someone at home in the UK was watching the BBC, watching the match, mm. saw the replay, videoed it on his phone, posted it on Twitter and said something like, you know, how's Kev Brown still in the field? So he showed me that. And then when I saw it, it was obvious to me that he'd been knocked out. But it happened really quickly. and mm. just couldn't see it in real life. So I was there in this kind of scenario where it's like, you can't play. Because if you're knocked out, then that's an instant, you, you know, you're, you're out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to then, at the end of this, um, end of like Wayne Bennett's team talk, <laughs> I had to be like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> just to let you know, yeah, you're one of your most experienced players ever, can't play on. So it, to be fair to him, he was really experienced, took it really well. Obviously the player was pissed. Um, but after the match, all the news and everything were going like crazy over all this stuff. And out in Australia, rugby league is probably the equivalent of football in this country. It's that big, it's like the national sport. So um, loads of people were asking about it. And the next morning in like whatever it was, the Brisbane Express or the Sydney Herald, whatever it was, it said, uh, Dr. Twitter. And a picture of me <laughs> holding Kevin Brown's head. Yeah. And it said, Kevin Brown uh, becomes the first athlete worldwide in the history of sport to be removed from the field of play based on a tweet <laughs> yeah wow and that was it I mean people have tried some of the tweets yeah. I've seen get, get fucking egg bottle of off what's he but that's a genuine that is um, and how did you feel waking up to that was it uh, did you feel in the middle of a storm or was it yeah yeah yeah. because because everyone was it was mad it mm. was something I haven't experienced before so because of that then it got all this attention so like the chief medical officer for the rugby for world rugby then got involved mm. as did the England rugby one and everyone was then looking at this video and it was all about whether he should have been taken off, when all that type of stuff all came into play. In the end, like it, I made all the right decisions, but yeah, it was pretty nerve wracking. At one point, I had to like, I got like a media guy and had to think about if I got approached by the media, what to say. Yeah, yeah, um, well. But yeah, now I just talk about it in podcasts and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so that's so how so like um, boxing and MMA and stuff. You can yeah. get be knocked out, and if you as long as you're up again before ten seconds, you can. Carry on getting yeah, pushed in the head. Yeah, what do deal with that? Because I, I was just thinking, similarly, like some sports, you you expect obviously rugby is a contact sport, yeah. but some sports are more so a contact sport. So yeah. is that because of like protocols in each sport or? Boxing is a really good good question. I think boxing in the in the medical sports medicine world, boxing is a bit controversial, yeah, because you know it's a sport where people are repeatedly getting hit in the head. And their risk of concussion is massive. Mm. So, See, if, if that was me, though, I'd just be like slipping, dodging. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'd just be getting out of the way. But for those that can't do that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't know. It's hard. I've never worked in rugby, uh, in uh, in boxing, and I, and I think I would struggle to to do it because I just feel really exposed. The, the only time doctors actually call it off in boxing is, is for like a blood. It's like a cut. Whereas like if when it's, it's a really nasty cut. If it's a nasty cut, yeah. whereas actually if it's like a concussion thing, it's up to the corner or the the referee usually. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I don't know. I just, yeah. I'd feel really like exposed. Yeah. And vulnerable. Yeah. Because at least in rugby, you've got loads of like stuff around you to kind of help you. And the event doesn't stop. If you take a playoff through concussion, yeah. the whole, well, that's everybody's night at the O2 done. Cheers, Dr. Twitter. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. the difference, isn't it? Look, yeah. I think... People in uh, maybe fans of rugby expect that sort of treatment for their for players, even though it might be annoying that you know a star player is, has to come off. But 
the general consensus is that that's a good idea because our idea and the general feeling towards like head injuries like concussion is that people should be protected, right? Whereas I think the general consensus of boxing, I don't, I don't know if I'm putting myself in a fire line here, is that people want to see people put put their bodies to a very extreme mm. uh, limit, right? Yeah, it's a different culture, isn't it? Yeah. And I think I mean, I've worked in rugby for quite a while, and when I first started working in rugby, it wasn't like how it is now. I mean, the whole yeah. point of boxing is to <clears throat> render somebody uncomfortable. That's the whole point. That's the, yeah. that's the end goal, isn't it? That's if you knock someone yeah. out, that's a re- that's like the best result. Yeah. As a sport, what is an out an outcome for a sport? That's just it's mental, isn't it? Really. <laughs> well, when I'm when I'm not covering a rugby game, when I watch it, sometimes I think to myself, "Why do I cover this game, mm. <laughs> rugby? Because it's so violent. Yeah. It yeah. really is. So, like, when you're in it, you, like, you're I'm I'm responsible for something happens. But I never really appreciate it fully in, until I'm watching a game on TV or like yeah. live. But boxing's even more. Yeah, you know, like like you said, the aim of the game. So in um, in a lot of sports in rugby now, in a lot of codes like union and league, they're trialing removing like anything above like the armpit, like yeah. tackling. So you can't tackle above the armpit against trying like protect people. Whereas like you say in boxing, the aim is to basically knock, yeah. Someone, yeah. knock someone out. You had a question about boxing actually, Connor, didn't you? Yeah, I was basically a medical question. Well, yeah. So what? <laughs> I've I've been a boxing fan for for a long time, and in many interviews with. Uh, different boxers, male boxers, is they say I, I haven't, um, you know, unloaded for like six weeks or something. <laughs> unloaded is in downstairs. Okay, right. Um, so you know, if, what, if, a, if a if a boxer hasn't done that, yeah, is that what? how medically is that really helping the oh, fight? I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, because a lot of boxers do stand by that, right? Like, yeah, they will say, yeah, I've not testosterone done that for a, yeah. a while. I think the so it, so everyone's body's a bit different. The body naturally, if you if you don't do it, if you don't do it, if you don't um, help it along, then you will ha- <laughs> yeah. you will end, it'll do it itself. So it that's, that's why you have wet dreams, isn't it? That, uh, didn't, didn't Jake so, Paul say had, had a wet dream before the time of Fury fight? That's one of his reasons. <laughs> I think that's very different. I don't know that's, yeah. that's what he said. He said he had really? a wet dream before the time of Fury fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's pro- well. If that's what they're doing, then that's probably yeah, yeah. why. Because if you don't. If you don't unload, then the body will naturally make that happen, and that's what basically a wet dream What's is. What's the time period? <laughs> I don't know. I think everyone's a bit different. And is but, that would that be the same for female athletes? Obviously, it's different. I mean, build do, up. Do females have wet dreams? I don't know. I, I, I don't ask. You're the doctor. Probably, right? probably, probably need to get a female on this yeah. on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to kind of be funny, but if um. If that is the case, if women do hold off on a yeah, like orgasming, I think my wife has have a fight coming up. <laughs> She's going to be dangerous when she gets in there. Six years, absolutely unload on someone. But that's um, but that people have these mad theories, don't they? Like, like, like the the pre-match ritual and stuff. Have you ever seen any like insane pre-match rituals? Which you think, what on earth is this? A random thing, random one I've seen. Not a ritual, but. At half time, there was a player who would always vomit in the toilets every half time. He'd come back straight in. Wow. And then I remember the first time I like, was covering, I thought, has he taken like a head knock or something? Something yeah. wrong with him. Oh, yeah. But then uh, that was just his thing. Yeah. But I've seen it in more than one player, which is, I thought I'd only see it once, but I've seen it quite a few times. You know what, as well, from that point of view, you have so many like, these little weird gel things. And like you, you, you eat in such a way and you have the supplements and all this. If you're then going and getting yourself in the red zone, 
plus the adrenaline, plus the nerves, and then the change rooms, then it's kind of like you get in from it. I don't, I don't know if I could say this, but my, the other day, this, I don't know, he had, he had a fight with two guys on his um, drive, and then later that night, he was in the bath, and he had a heart attack. But I think it's because he'd gone and like, just when he come back in from it and it all settled down, it's like his body, it's like a delay, delayed. Because that isn't a normal thing for a human to be in front of all them people playing sport, running around. It's a massive like high, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a bit, I guess it's a bit like playing, um, doing a gig in front of a massive audience. It's like it's a really high. Yeah, I mean, dead similar actually. How does that feel? Do you vomit when you finish no, the gig? But, um, no, but I deliberately don't get too high or low from any gig for, for that reason, I think. Because you hear about um, some footballers. Say if you're playing the Champions League, right? There was a game that got called off in the Champions League. Like the floodlights failed. It's like a, an eight o'clock kickoff. They played maybe twenty minutes, mm. and then the floodlights had failed. So all the players have had all this kind of like the um, the adrenaline in the bodies, and then they had to have like sleeping tablets to bring them down again. If you if you've got a play if you play on a Wednesday, right, and you get back to the hotel, like sleeping sleep's a big thing in it in sport, my man. Is that yeah. a thing that people come to the doctor about? Be like, how I need. Yeah, yeah, loads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, problem is, is that, like, before a game, especially, like, evening games, because, like, with, like, with televised sport, a lot of, often they'll make it fit what people want to watch, so it might be an evening time. But if someone's, if a game's taken off at 8 p.m. or 7.30, 8pm, by the time they finish, it's 10. If they usually go to bed around 10 o'clock, they've literally just finished a massive game. So, and then before the game, they might be having, caffeine. well, they will be having caffeine, energy drinks, as well as the adrenaline, so there's no way they're going to be able to come down. So it takes them like a lot. Of, some of the players hours to get down. Yeah. Um, so often they do. They do ask for things to help them sleep. But that's probably where sports medicine, sports science has come a long way. Because yeah, I think back in back in the day, you just give them some diazepam to help them sleep. But that that doesn't happen that much what, anymore. What's that? Sorry. Diazepam. Diazepam is like a um, muscle relaxant. It's like a, it helps you sleep. Basically, okay. the problem is is that it's addictive. Massively. Oh, okay. So players would be hooked on like Valium, Dizapam, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there's ways in which you can counteract it by giving them lots of sleep hygiene advice. So yeah. for example, like they, they might finish the game and then be up you know, on Instagram and yeah. you know, all that stuff from their phones for hours and that doesn't help. So yeah, there's stuff you can do to help them. You know, I find it mad when you see footballers like playing FIFA. Like that, that's <laughs> in the downtime. Like, lads, have a stick of film on for God's sake. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're playing... <laughs> They play FIFA all the time. Yeah. yeah. They love FIFA. It's Even the rugby players love FIFA. Yeah. But you can understand it for that. At least it's a different sport. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're playing yeah. your own sport. But one of my favourite jokes ever is actually in Gavin and Stacey. You've seen when they're, they're driving from Wales to uh, Essex and then at the services and Dave coaches, they're like, oh, you're right, Dave. He's like, yeah. Just needed a break from all that driving. He's at the services on one of them driving <laughs> things. <laughs> one of my favourite <laughs> jokes, man. Just talking about that adrenaline, do you feel yourself... A- affected by that as well and does that you know on a big match day maybe or something and um do you feel like that could in any way affect your performance as a sort of the, the team doctor so one of the things you try to do is which is hard to do but you try to detach yourself from the outcome mm. so sometimes you see doctors like jumping up and down and getting really excited mm. and all that kind of stuff it needs to their own but i try to not do that because your job is there to protect the players. So if you're getting excited and like jumping up and down and going hysterical, you may well miss something that's gone on. So yeah, it's all about being laser focused for me. Um, but on massive occasions, I think so. If I've been 
the best example would be if I, when I was away for six, seven weeks out in Australia with the England rugby team, you've invested loads. So when we got to the World Cup final and it's 80,000 people, you just, you know, you can't help but feel like this is massive. Yeah. You know, and I remember... Um, a part, you, you want to get on the pitch there. You want something to happen and I want to get on that pitch. It's, yeah. It's just really like, you can't, however like a professional you try to be, that mm. build up, because you, you kind of, you feel like family. You know, yeah. and the players feel like your family and you feel like almost like a dad to them because if you kind of got them to this position. So I remember in the in the final so it was it was seven nil to Australia, they won. Um but right in the last like few minutes, Callum Watkins, who was like a winger, um, right in front of me, he he made like a break for it. He was we thought he was gonna get to the kind of the finish line and score a try. Heart's going here. And then Seriously. <laughs> and then they um one of the Aussie players dived and just they always tried to do it, just swiped, tried to get an ankle tap. Yeah. And he just tapped, clipped his ankle, hit his other foot, and he fell over. Ah, they all came, and that was it. Um, so, yeah, that I remember being like right there and intense. Um, so, yeah, it does sometimes, you know, you're just human at the end of the day. What about when you are, are required to run onto the field? Sometimes it's, it is time wasting, isn't it? Like, it's, yeah. some, it's, we, I don't know, we're, we're playing and stuff, and like you'd, the, the other team's getting a bit of momentum. A goalie just goes down and holds his head for like, Five seconds. Do you, can you do you know what you're coming on to usually, or do you just treat every instant as you just going into it without any? Well, some, you you know you know sometimes when it's serious. So yeah. something serious happens, the players will like wave mm. on, and that's if that happens, you know it's something really big. Um, if a player just goes down, you need to just you know have an open mind what might happen. But sometimes you go on, and the players literally just like I just want a break, dog. Yeah, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they tell you what they want, um, but. Yeah, otherwise you just you know, just run on, do my job. Do you, well, do you ever you've been given an instruction to go on with? They try to do it. Mm. Um, um, so if if you're less experienced, you probably take instruction, mm. but that's not my job. Yeah. So maybe when I started, I would have been more vulnerable to stuff like that. Yeah. But like now, I just tell them where to go. It's yeah. Not, you know, it's not my job to take on messages because then suddenly you become like part of this like strategy, strategy yeah. for the team. And that's not your job. You know, they've got, no. there are people who can do that. Yeah, I suppose it gets to the point where they just don't ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, my mind's not a doctor that does that, you know. Yeah. Um, how do you find work with, with para players, my mind? So uh, athletes with a disability, because do you find them different as, as patients? Because presumably they've got more of a history of being around doctors and, you know, depending on their impairment or condition. Do you find there's a difference between para sport and, and mainstream sport at all? Yeah. There's a lot mm. less, um, there's a lot less egos in para sport. Mm. Definitely, um, is that because of a disability, or is that because the exposure of the game? Yeah. I do wonder if you had a para, if para, if a, if para England football was the same exposure and like celebrity status as England football eleven aside, mm. would they be the same? That's what I, that's why I asked myself. So I don't know whether it's the type of person or the background that they've had. Or it's just the fact they're not celebrities because I've seen, I've seen players, athletes who've come very from a very humble background and not be famous, then become really, really big. Yeah, and it just does inevitably affect them. It's it's like the, all the films, like they've seen like the the Whitney Houston film, the Elvis film, the Johnny Cash film, all from humble, and it's the same trajectory, isn't it? It's the same. Then nothing's prepared them for that level of fame and money and exposure, and they just it sends so many people. It it can really derail a life, can't it? That stuff. 
Yeah. Oh, so we're keeping things pretty yeah. low key with this, aren't <laughs> we're Worried about Connor. <laughs> I'm so, I've been so uh, close to, you know, very, very minimal success on a grand scheme of things. But I can feel it within myself, that almost that ego building up, being like, if I get this, then I've, I can get that. You know, I've gone mm. in the past, gone to auditions for, for stuff as an actor and sort of maybe been told I'm in the last two. And in my head, I'm already on Graham Norton. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do, do, what, the show? Or? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Anything that's an Olympic sport, like athletics or swimming, Really, we're just looking for genetic freaks, aren't we? That's all we're looking for, really. Yeah, but at the same time, there's the likes of like Rob Burrow. Yeah, who are like small guy. tiny. Yeah, so I was Rob's doc. So I was I was very involved with Rob. Everything yeah. that happened because so I was I was a Leeds Rhinos doc at the time, um, but I was his doc when he was an England player as well. Um, so he's like someone who's completely beat the odds. Beat the odds. And what did he have? Was he just so such a skillful player and knowledge of the game and stuff? Just like rapid. Yeah, you know. Yeah. He's, just an amazing talent, but yeah, he was so talented. So many like videos of him just going in and out of people. Uh, but yeah, you put him next to Sam Burgess, and you think, how can he be on the same field? Yeah, must be like, like illegal. <laughs> <laughs> can you speak about that, Marwan? Can you because because did he come and see you, Rob, when he was f- feeling unwell and stuff? Yeah, so um, so they have talked about this publicly. Yeah, so I can kind of say, but essentially, he, ca- he came to see me about um, another problem like a relatively simple problem. And um, and because I've known him for a long time, I noticed his speech wasn't um, wasn't normal. Yeah. Um, and then a week later, he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was really, I was really involved with it, you know, from, from day one really. And then obviously Kev, Kev Sinfield is a, is a close friend of mine. I've worked with him for a long time. Um, so yeah, we kind of, in the early days, you know, when it all stopped in the in the initial few weeks of his diagnosis, we um, would meet kind of once a week. Me, Kev, and then a couple of guys from the club would meet to talk about how we could help plan for Rob and things like that. Yeah, what's that like when you've been some a friend to someone for a very long time, and then you, uh, medically you can see sort of where that journey's going for them? And yeah, it's tragic. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. You know. The thing is, is that you do, as a doctor, you do get exposed to obviously life and death and stuff like that happens a lot. I think the thing is in sport, which is different from all other areas of medicine, you'd ne- you don't really become friends with patients. 
in you know as a GP mm. you know or in hospitals you're not going to be friends with the patient you just see them once and that's it GPs may get to know people but it's different they don't they won't go out to the pub with them or something whereas in a in a sports environment you go on tour with them you'll share hotels with them you go out for meals so you do you do kind of become more than just like a professional mm. like you know doctor patient relationship so yeah it does make it more difficult to deal with that relationship between we only get a taste of it with our England team. We're together like sporadically. But I personally really like being around the medical staff because the the coaches and the, it's it can be very sporty and it can be very football-y and stuff. Where sometimes you can chat to the, the doctors more like try. Sometimes they've not got no interest in sport or got a you know, a fleeting interest in sport. You can have they really do bring a different dynamic off the off the pitch, don't they, Mom, and the the medical staff. Because you, you must work with physios a lot. What what's that relationship like? Who are you? Are you top dog there? Are they <laughs> with the physio? You with physios, yeah. Are they like do, do, they, do they know the places? Physio? No, what no? Um, <laughs> yeah, depends on the physio. No, yeah, you you're a team, aren't you? So just like any team, you both it's like you know two hands, one hand yeah. can't work with it, right, the other. So yeah, you work you work together, but it can be depending on personalities. It can be a source of friction. Yeah, so, of course. The, the best teams I've worked with have been when you know the me and the physio get on and work on and work at the same on the same page and all that kind of stuff if you've not got that with the physio then it's a real struggle but yeah there's no uh no everyone's different there's no hierarchy yeah you might he's smiling yeah yeah well some some doc I mean some people yes of course there will be some doctors yeah. who think I'm the doctor yeah old school type I'm the doctor I'm in charge yeah but that's like ridiculous yeah, yeah, I suppose it is. Isn't it, it really? depends on what it is. Yeah. Like, you know, if, so if a physiotherapist starts telling me about medical stuff. Yeah, if it's like just like a little massage or whatever, it'd be there. <laughs> if, it's if it's something proper. <laughs> say, right, Connor here. You, you, yeah. Would you say you describe yourself as a sportsman, Connor? No, uh, no. Okay. So <laughs> I, haven't played, I have played sports, though. But, but say, no, we want to get him totally jacked, this guy. Okay. <laughs> We want to take him from what? From what? How much do you watch? How well, much? so I'm six three. <clears throat> what? So I'm six three. You're not yeah. six three. Yeah, in height. Kind of stood next. There's pictures yeah. of us next together on yeah, this. Six. How tall are you? Like six one. No, I'm six three. Honestly. Right. Okay. Well, well six, that's two. that's debatable. Six, two. Right. Yeah. You're six six. You're, you're six foot. You're, def- you're definitely tall. You're around the six foot. But yeah. <laughs> All right. But the question was, how much do I weigh? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the last time I checked, I was like 101, but I've lost a lot of weight since then. 101? K- KG? Yeah. yeah. I can't say 101. Yeah. You've gone, you've gone that... six foot. You give us your height in feet and then KG. What are you doing with that? Should I Google it? I've the, definitely um, lost weight. So I, can, can, I, can, I can fit into the size 34 waist. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of coming in right? there's no there's no doping on this there's no doping <laughs> and we just want to oh, get so we have to take the steroids out of the way we, we just want to get him into him no you can use anything at our disposable okay <laughs> disposable and we want to get him just turn him into an absolute specimen yep how do we how do we go about that what are we pumping in him steroids steroids straight <laughs> in which ones <laughs> if you can control everything so it'd be steroids no we wouldn't I mean so <laughs> <laughs> steroid <laughs> you want to pop with everything yeah steroid growth hormone yeah what else? I want to get this guy honestly yeah. like you want to get him shredded I t- I want him so get to so maybe some thyroxine just to kind of shall I give you some of my metabolism before we don't worry about it no, right, you'll be dead in about a week but <laughs> you'll be massive and so we want to max but we want to max out on his sleep right so we give him sleep stuff oh yeah so uh, uh, diazepam 
Yeah. And then we want to get you like any pain you might have. We want to get rid of that. So morphine. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got morphine, diazepam, yeah. steroids, and growth hormone, and some thyroxine. This point, good, pa- good Patreon. Yeah. yeah. If, if anyone's listening to this, <laughs> yeah. please do not take those medications. Yeah, we need to. Because you will be dead in yeah. about 36 hours. Because um, doping is obviously, that must be a big part of your job, Marwan, as well. Like, we're being silly there. But it must be a massive part of your, your job, doping and stuff. Yeah. How much of it do you think is people choosing and making decisions deliberately for stuff? And how much is just being innocuous, having the wrong things and not taking care over what they're putting into the bodies. I think with like the performance enhancing stuff, mm. that's like the real critical question. I mm. think a lot of that is not on purpose. Really? Yeah. It depends on what sport, I guess. Yeah. It depends on what sport and what country. So certain sports in certain countries have got different reputations. Yeah. So for example, in athletics, Russia has a big rep for doping. Mm. Um I think I'm going to get snipered out any second now. Yeah. <laughs> Is this train going to be poisoned? I'm going to die. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, and then for example, cycling is known for doping. Yeah. You know, so that it probably depends on the sport. It depends on the, what country they're practicing in. But in like, if we're talking about in this country, <clears throat> then I think majority of it is going to be coincidental, which means it's contaminated with something else. Um, Remember the Aaron Baxter? Remember this guy? The, he, was a, he was a skier. He got silver in the Winter Olympics, and he got it got rescinded because he had. And he said he had an over-the-counter Lemsip drink or something, and it kind of got his silver medal taken off him. So that's because so uh, Lemsip and then like Sudafed and things like that. Mm. It, it had it used to have, and some of the ones have a substance which used to be banned called Sudafrin, mm. and that's like for decongestion and stuff like that. But it was part of the, it's one of the drugs. It's basically this big list of stuff. Every year, there's this thing called the World Anti-Doping Association, WADA. And they come up with a prohibited list every year. And they'll say, this is banned, this is banned. Yeah. Da, da, da. Connor's um, on all of that. Whatever's <laughs> on that list, we give a point to this guy. 100%. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so kind of, if you take anything from that, then you, you just, yeah, Lemsip used to have something that was banned um, which is why you'd fail. So that's why they they always say, you know, like whenever we give a talk to athletes, you always encourage them to look at, you know, there's the apps you can get, which you just type in the drug you're on, you know, the the medication you're taking. Take that to your dealer and be like, put that in, yeah. put it in there. <laughs> Let's just make sure we're covered. <laughs> so you were saying that how how much you don't think is intentional? Yeah. So what? how does that work? How How do you unintentionally dope? So sometimes some of these places, depending on where you get your supply from, so you might get, let's just let's just say you buy a protein powder. That protein powder, just like, you know, for example, if you get something that says may contain traces of nuts, that's not because anyone's put nuts in it. It's because on a, in that production line, something in that area will have nuts in it. Mm. So there's a chance that it could be a cross-contamination, which then could give you an allergy, allergy. The same thing happens with dope, with this kind of stuff. So you might buy some protein that's been made in the same production line as something that's illegal, something that's illegal in sport. Can't forget that, like, a lot of the, the people, like the companies who make nutritional products, will make things like growth hormone, anabolic steroids, mm. because people who go to the gym, some people take that kind of stuff. So they'll be made in the same area. So there'll be contamination. That's why a lot of, well, all athletes are encouraged to take stuff which is what's called batch tested, which basically means it's a special batch number which says that that batch has been made has been tested specifically for mm. banned stuff but you might be you might not know I mean if an athlete 
doesn't know that and takes something, that's how they get tested. Say, so for example, uh, an athlete comes back and they've come back as that they've taken a substance they shouldn't have taken and then they insist that they didn't know they were taking it. That's actually quite a likely outcome because I feel like as a fan, you think, of course you're going to say I didn't intend to dope. But from a medical perspective, it's actually quite a high chance that that could be the case. They weren't aware they were taking an illegal substance. Yeah, it depends on what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it, You can't say, you know, someone's got yeah, steroids. I wasn't aware I was taking steroids. I mean, yeah. but they inject them. So. Up his ass. <laughs> oh, sure. is that what that was? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought it was my flu vaccine. <laughs> but then Every week. But we, we think like these high performance, we think of steroids, don't we? But also, am I right in thinking like beta blockers can be used for like snooker and archery, things that slow oh, your wow. heart rate down? Yeah, yeah. All that kind of, it depends on the sport, isn't it? Yeah. So no, it's not all about, you know, getting big and massive. Mm. Um, a lot of it is... Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Develop a personality. Yeah. Muscles. Right well. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of sports people, you know, like we talked about how they're performing really high level, you know, any industry where people are at high stress level, chefs, you know, bankers, mm. what's a common drug that a lot of those people take. Cocaine, you know? isn't So, it? like, there's going to be that kind of risk as well. It's not all kind of performance-enhancing stuff. Yeah. There's a risk. You know, back in, like, the 90s and stuff, footballers would go out and drink and do all this stuff. That must... What what effect does alcohol have on your body when you're trying to... when you're trying to be an athlete and trying to be fit? Yeah, well, the obvious thing is to be hydrated. Yeah. Um, and then it's just going to slow you down. It's It's not... It's not the ideal thing to be taking, um, you know, for performance. Because some people they, they literally finish the game. Like some of my mates, right, they play Sunday league. They go out on Saturday, like absolutely spanned anyhow. Get up, no breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> first thing to do is sprint. That's the first thing. No warm up, nothing. No, bre- and they just sprint. That you're asking for a heart. Amazing, not more heart attacks. <laughs> You'd think there's a recipe for disaster in it. That. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think that that approach only lasts you so long, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there's some people who naturally can just yeah, go out on the you know next morning from a night out and just be fine. It, it just eventually catch up with them. I I had a mate that said um, he used to go out on the piss on a Friday night and then on a Saturday he'd do a park run, and he'd always think that he'd always think that he did the park run run quicker if he was hungover. <laughs> Why? Why would he think? Why would he think that he's quicker, or why would he be? His times were quicker when he was had been on the night yeah. the night before. Well, you know what? I'm thinking to myself. So if I go like on, a, if I have like a what bite session, sometimes when I'm trying really hard, versus I think you know what? I don't give a shit today. I'm just going to do whatever. I yeah. do better. Yeah. So there's probably going to be a bit there in terms of like probably mentally where you're up to in terms of like because the thing is there's this whole thing about so there's a performance curve and a performance anxiety curve. So as you get more nervous about something, that's essentially your physiological way of your your heart rate will increase, your blood pressure will increase, um, a lot of the peripheral blood vessels will constrict, so Mm -hmm. that kind of fight or flight type stuff. To a point, that's actually what you need. If you're too too relaxed, then you won't perform because your blood isn't optimised and all that kind of stuff. Before I go on stage, I get very yawny. Mm. I'm yawning constantly. And I wonder if that's me, my body trying to get as much oxygen in because it's like fight or flight in it I think it knows something a big adrenal dump is coming I don't know if it's my body kind of conserve it like you're going to need your energy in a minute 
Yeah, well, it'll be your way of preparing for that. Yeah. The thing is, is that it's, if it goes too too far and you get too anxious, then it becomes detrimental. So there is like a peak of like performance and anxiety. A lot of people think if they get nervous or butterflies in their tummy, whatever, it's not sport. Even if you you know going to go and give a talk to a lot of people or mm. whatever, if you feel anxious, a lot of people think that's negative, but it's not. It, a certain amount of anxiety is actually positive. If you if it's just not too much. So what is that, like three points? You think like three, four <laughs> about, points? Yeah, about three and a half. would <laughs> be fine. <laughs> Can we talk about you, Marwan? So you're, you're, you've, you've had some near-death experiences. Has that been in the in the field of work or has that been in, in personal life? Well, closely, well, I've, so I've, when I was a kid, two times when, one when, I pretty much did die and the second one where I should have 100% died and the first one <laughs> was when uh, so I was maybe uh, definitely under two years old maybe around a year or something and my dad was throwing me in the air and catching me as like you know all, all parents do and um, my dad's quite tall he's not quite six foot two and a half a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's big so he threw me up and then just forgot to catch me and then I landed on the floor you mean just back. forgot yeah he just just you know I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He Door, the doorbell went. Didn't catch me. It left, um, <laughs> it left the oven on. And then I, I landed on the uh, floor on my back, and then I was like completely unresponsive. Fuck. Both my parents um, basically tried to like revive me, and then weren't sure what to do. I wasn't responding, and then I just came back to life. Um, Fucking hell! The crazy, the crazy thing is, is that so my dad told me about that for the first time when I was like a teenager, and I said to my dad, "I remember this," and he was like, "Well, you can't," and you were like one. And I was like, I've seen it. And I, in my head now, I've got a vision of seeing it. And I, and I actually talked to my dad about it the other from day. From POV, from but your... Now, so, like, so I've, I've got a vision in my head of looking down on me, my mum and dad. Yeah. The, my mum and dad there. And my, I, t- I actually chatted about this with my dad the other day. And my dad was like, cause I said it when I was a kid, when he first told me, my, yeah. he just brushed it off. So I, I said it again. And he brushed it off again. And I said, I bet you I can tell you like where it was in the house. And he was like, where was it? I said, was it by the front door? And he's like, yes. And I said, on the front door, on the left, there's like some sort of table or something with a telephone on it. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah. no. Because we never, we didn't, we didn't, I never saw that as an adult, that house. We moved. Yeah, wow. So, um, yeah, that's pretty That's where crazy. most people would keep the phone tables, to be fair. Near the door. <laughs> near, is it near a hat stand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And is there a is there a handle on the door? <laughs> <laughs> and there's a runner. There's a so interesting actually. My earliest memory is being probably similar age, maybe eighteen months, two years old, in the push chair in agony because a wasp had stung inside my mouth in Blackpool. Ouch. Which I wonder if if when you have a memory which is so traumatic, if it if it do you know what I mean? Mm. That is my first memory is being in horrific pain. And then, but you'd nearly died again. Yeah. So I was a bit older. I was about three um, or four. Um, and we were, we were playing hide and seek. My brother was playing hide and seek with his mates. And my brother's three years older than me. So, like, as all like little brothers, I used to follow him everywhere. <clears throat> so they were playing hide and seek. And I didn't have anywhere to to hide. So I was like, Taz, like, where can I hide? Where can I hide? And he went, Oh, yeah, in there. And this little box. And it was a box on the side of a house, which was essentially the electrics. Wow. The whole supply for the whole neighbourhood. 
and uh, so I went in. I wouldn't think to look in there, to be fair. The <laughs> <laughs> brother was severely trying to kill me. <laughs> so then I went in, touched the wires, got electrocuted. My brother came to pull me off, and luckily he grabbed my jacket, not my skin, oh, otherwise he would have got electrocuted. Yes. And he said he managed to like really pull hard and eventually get me, like, get yeah. me off. And then um, when I woke up, I had a black charcoal line from this hand all the way up here across my wow. heart other side wow. um, straight through my heart and then I remember I still remember actually going to my mum and my brother was like ooh <laughs> and my mum I was mum's face and we went to hospital and the doctors at the time were like there's an absolute zero chance of surviving this like it's impossible like wow. no idea how you could have completed it. I basically earthed yeah the, you completed the circuit yeah um, what were you wearing? Did that have a factor? Do you mean we were like in any think, rubber gear? I or? think shell suits you're, were a big thing. Yeah, like, you know, MC Hammer and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a hedge MC Hammer suit. saved my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really thick rubber sole. <laughs> yeah, that is. You had any near death experiences, Connor? No, nothing. That just, comes... the, just the just the gentle decay of time. I've um, had a colonoscopy. <laughs> if you, yeah, that's not that's not how you want to go, that is it? Sound, no. Should be a pretty routine <laughs> procedure. We, we we lost him. What? And then if you had another one, like as an adult, a, a near death experience. So I've got, I've got, um, not near death, but well, actually, yes, yeah, um, yeah. I've, got, I think I've, it. <laughs> I've never met someone with so many. So, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I remember like uh, my family used to say like a cat with nine lives. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what life I'm on now. <laughs> so I was, um, so I got lost in the desert in Petra um, and thought I was going to die wow very close so what you were out there like on a stag or something stag there <laughs> <laughs> so I went I went I was, I was actually I went travelling there I went on my own so I went to obviously I saw Petra you know the Indiana Jones it was t- filmed I can't remember which one it was was it Raiders of the Lost Ark Temple know. of Doom whatever but I thought oh, you know go see it and so I went to see it but then I I went to the tourist information bin. I was like, have you got a, a map? So they, all they had was this tiny little, like, Alton Towers type map in Spanish. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I'll take it. So I went... Um, a lot of cactuses have got faces on them. <laughs> yeah. like, is this and official? Yeah, yeah. with it as well. <laughs> Where's the water park? <laughs> so I saw all the sites, and then as I was walking, I went uh, and met these... They were like Cub Scouts. Um, they were all wearing, like, 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 kind of, yeah, Scouts or whatever. And they spoke like American English so I got chatting to them and they were showing me like they were saying this is that that is that whatever so I was with them like most of the day and where when I got on it the bus said well the last bus getting home is I don't know like at four o'clock or something so it got to about two o'clock and then I mean just to give you an idea in terms of the landscape it was like it was like rock rubble sand very dry Mm. um, but we were pretty like remote so I said guys I need to get back um you know, are we going to get back to the start anytime soon? And they said, no, no, we we left Petra like a few hours ago. I was like, where are you going? No, we're going to this next little village. I said, well, I need to get back to my bus. So they said, well, you can go the same way we came, but that's going to take you a few hours and you'll miss your bus. Or you can go down that desert path to the middle of nowhere. Oh, my God. In an hour, you'll be back in Petra. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I walked off and it was like, um, it wasn't a road. It was like a sand rubble road thing you know where cars had been and so it was like a like a sand thing so I went on that went walking on it for about an hour and then I remember in the middle of nowhere there was a donkey just there <laughs> attached like a post just stood there and I thought what the hell's a donkey doing in the middle of the desert but I remember reading I don't know if any of you guys remember The Lonely Planet 
guide. It's like a, like a guidebook for traveling. Am I showing my age here? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's like a pocket guide. Before the internet existed, um, there was like a book you'd buy. And if you want to go to a country, it would tell you like the best places to go and whatever. So the Lonely Planet guide talked about the Bedouins out in the desert there. Yeah. So I thought, well, there must be like a Bedouin tribe somewhere here and they must own this donkey. Anyway, I kept on going for a bit. And eventually this path that I was on got thinner and thinner and thinner until it just stopped. And I thought, oh, bloody hell. I'm going to have to just turn around and go back where I came from. So I thought, so I went, I looked around for a bit more, see if it continued, didn't What have you got on you at this point? I had my Spanish map. Yeah. Half, about that much water. Yeah, it's like, what's that, uh, like 100, 200, 300 mil. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a compass, didn't or, have a phone. Or 900 mil if it's kind of measuring it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much, and, and, a, and a, a camera. Um, yeah. So basically nothing useful. Um, so I thought, oh, well, I'm going to have to just turn around and go back where I came from turn around and this path that I'd been on has just disappeared it was just not there and I thought I just started panicking and I thought so I started running around trying to find it and, and I couldn't find this path and then I thought hang on I need to just think here so I, I took my rucksack off put it down in the middle and then I would like go out for about 50 meters or something in a straight line and come back and go and That's basically so keep going and making a circle so I had retraced my steps to kind of change, so I wouldn't get completely lost because it was there's no real like bearings or anything. Yeah, mark. no landmarks. So yeah, no landmarks. So I did that and still couldn't find the path. And then I started thinking, I'm like, I'm lost. So I started shouting, and, yeah. I, and I was shouting. And you know, like on, on films when they shout and you can hear it echo off everything. Yeah, that was happening. What's the time as well now? Because if this was getting a bit late, because yeah, the, the sun sets very quickly, doesn't it, in the desert? It was. This was about two. So it was yeah. like it was still the sun was still pretty high okay. and hot. Um, so I don't know how long I spent running around, but eventually I just gave up because obviously I'd been there for quite a while at this point, and I was on my hands and knees, and I remember like crying and feeling like I'm gonna die here. And how, old, how old were you at the time? Twenty, twenty. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and it was like it was mad. So then, I, so I gave up, and as I was like, I st- I'll never forget it because you know that's a massive thing. Yeah. And then I was just looking, like, my tears was, like, hitting the sand. And then um, and I saw my footprints, like, everywhere. And then I thought, there must be some footprint Because you can tell whether the, what part of the foot, whether it's coming or going. And I thought, there must be some footprints that came here from somewhere where I first came. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then I thought, I need to find where the footprints are. So I was going around everywhere, and there's obviously footprints everywhere, until eventually I found, like, footprints that were coming. So then I followed these footprints. I was just like following them. It must have felt like for a for on your hands and feet. No, I was like I was like kind of walking, yeah. but like kind of close to the ground, following the footprints um, until eventually I got back on the, the the road, the kind of track thing. Yeah. And then when I turned round, I could see all the track of where I'd been, and what it must have been is you know like when when the sun hits, like you know for a football stadium has been cut in a certain way, yeah. and it looks different from where the sun is. It must have been like that. Mm-hmm. So I got back on this road this like path and I remember thinking that donkey <laughs> yeah it must have an owner so I was properly dehydrated but I ran as fast as I could to get to this donkey in case the donkey had gone just to get to it I was yeah. just obviously desperate to be saved yeah so I got to this donkey and I remember seeing it and I thought right <laughs> uh, what do I was supposed to do I thought this donkey I need to make it make some noise so, so the owner comes so I remember like shouting at this donkey I started hitting it <laughs> Like to kind of make it, yeah. make, and it started like making loads of racket, and then eventually 
in the distance, this guy came running towards me. And I remember in the in this 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 guidebook, it said they used to they carry little daggers in their like side in case someone tries to steal their cattle. And he came at me with a dagger, and I ran up to him, and I was like, "I'm lost, I'm lost!" <laughs> like, please, please, I'm yeah. lost. And he obviously realized like I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and then he took me to his like I don't know what to call it, like tent. It was like a yeah. It was like made out of animal skin. Um, took me to his tent. And then um, they made me some tea. Eventually, they they took me to the um, the nearest main road, and then I hitchhiked back to the hotel. And then I was wow saved. So that was uh, that was mad stuff. That was my this, experience. That is that's terrifying. That's isn't it? Crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why don't you just go like Xanti or something? <laughs> <laughs> and then did you want to tell us about the um, the blood donor stuff? Yeah. So. <clears throat> Yeah, so when I was in, when I was a medical student, uh, I'd drive back from the gym and there'd be a blood donation um, centre. I'd always think to myself... Why have you told us you at the gym at this story? That feels unnecessary for my... <laughs> well, you've done arm, what, yeah. arms. And I'd put my arm. Yeah. It was, just, it was just every time I came back from... Yeah, okay. Every time I came back from somewhere. Like a heavy session of <laughs> having just kind of arms, back, boys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd pass this blood donation centre... Um, so one day I decided I'm actually going to go and give blood. So I gave blood, and when I went in, I, I looked around like the room, and there was not one person who was like non-white giving blood. Yeah. And I thought, why? Where are all the like, like non-white people? Why is it? Why am I the only person who's giving blood here? So I looked into it a bit more, and then decided that I wanted to start a blood donation campaign. So I targeted it for the Muslim population, um, and. Initially, it was in, so I went to uni in Manchester um, and it started off just in Manchester and there's about 20 odd people who came. The next year it was Manchester and Birmingham. Then it became like nationwide and it's, um, it's, it slowly became the UK's biggest um, national blood donation campaign uh, along with like, the NHS blood and transplant. Um, I kind of developed it. It, got, it became like a charity and then I grew a team, uh, essentially left it so I think for me, the mar- the marker of a successful type project or anything you've done is where you have nothing to do with it and it's still like smashing it. Yeah. So I kind of uh, set it all up, you know, with terms of reference, committee, all that kind of like boring stuff. And then uh, I've not had anything to do with it for years. And I just found out uh, was it earlier this year or last year that it's um, it's just gone to the, world, the Guinness Book of Records for the largest amount of blood donations in a single day worldwide been broken wow, by this organisation and you turn up yeah. again then yeah you turn up on that day you're back on that day you know, eight years ago <laughs> that's, that's incredible man that yeah, is, it's unbelievable yeah. yes that's yeah what what were the barriers to that what what was stopping stopping the kind of the Muslim community not giving blood is it lack of information was it access think, to cert what I think a lot of it was cultural I think yeah. they just thought that you just couldn't give blood yeah so there was there was a definite there was a thing about um organ donation so in Islam the the human body is like sacred and after death there's different views about whether it's okay so for example you're not allowed to be cremated um, Muslims aren't allowed to be cremated um, because of the sanctity of the human body and whatever so people were I think people were thinking that blood is somehow sacred and it's part of your body and that kind of stuff but it's obviously that's nothing, it's not at all um, there's you know, we used this, and we kind of tried to motivate people. We used a, a verse in the Quran which basically says, that, you know, to to save if if so, if you save one life, it's as if you save the whole of mankind. Um, so we used that as a kind of a thing to motivate people. Um, 
and it and it works. Yeah, it took it definitely took some time, but um, definitely an achievement that I'm like proud of. It's unbelievable. Yes. Genuinely speechless. Doing genuinely, like, yeah. genuine good. Genuinely, my yeah, one brilliant. good deed for my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After that, it was all downhill. <laughs> yeah, you've real offset some karma. You could real, you could do some bad shit now. <laughs> yeah, you're in a good spot. Um, final question is: Who's your cult hero? Um, so I think my cult hero is is Raphael. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's my <laughs> cult hero. And he's my cult hero because, well, he's a badass. Yeah. Um, and he kicks ass. And he's got a good ass. <laughs> <laughs> is, there any, oh, is there anything, that's what I say, is there anything you want to plug, my man? Because you're a bit of a, a bit of a Twitter doc now, aren't you? You do threads and stuff which are dead interesting to follow. If people want to follow you on... Yeah, if you fancy giving me a follow, uh, my Twitter handle's at Dr. Marwan Al underscore D. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. much. Thanks for having me. Fucking hell, Connor. (laughs) What a guest. What a life. Man, he's... I've done nothing with my life. I know. He's done so much. Here's me and you talking about coming ninth in the darts league. (laughs) This bloke... I'm trying to think what... How my GP would survive in the desert if they were lost. Yeah, I I mean, don't ask me. I think he'd go to bits. Yeah. doctor. Really? Yeah, he'd, he'd absolutely crumble. He's a good guy, but, <laughs> you know, if he's, he's uh, yeah, he, he was just great when he was so giving with his time. Do you know how much that yeah. would cost to have a doctor like that to speak <laughs> Honestly, to for an hour? I dread to think how much that would cost if that was a, a consultancy. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he was so good. And there's actually more. He, he told us more stuff, didn't he? It's, he on, the, it's on the Patreon, which we've not mentioned yet. Yeah. But that's another little layer we've, we've got, got going on. We've just got that sort of ticking away that's in the background. That's just ticking over. We don't want your money necessarily, no. but if you wanted to give if, us some, then we'll give you a bit yeah. more content. It's we, not a problem. Exactly. We've just got, yeah. got the po- the podcast with a couple more stories put yeah. in there, uh, and you soon sort of just pay what, whatever you can... Yeah, it's just a little bonus, isn't it, if, yeah. if people want to hear more from Dr. Marwan. And we'll be back next week. We've got another guest, another cool yeah. hero. What do you think to uh, Marwan's cool hero? I didn't see that coming, did you? I think it's such a funny contrast from, you know all of his life experiences yeah. uh, and then his cult hero I was expecting someone you know a doctor yeah. a surgeon maybe yeah. and it's just one of the ninja turtles yeah just a, a, a turtle a shell based fictional character cartoon yeah no, he's let himself down though. Yeah. No, he was, um, <laughs> yeah he, he was great and uh, we'll, we'll see you all next week yeah same same time same place next Wednesday like subscribe rate uh, everywhere at cult heroes pod yeah wicked we'll see you then thanks for listening Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.